Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Pellies close out the pre-All-Star break of their schedule by going to Los Angeles and letting LeBron James and Anthony Davis rough them up a little bit. 120 to 102 defeat. Pels enter the All-Star break 30 and 29 overall. Woof. I'll say it for those in the back. Woof. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III. I'm joined inside the game studios by the man striving to be an extraordinary producer. D'Lo Dawson Iserlow joins us. Bud, how you feeling about those pills? Uh, well, first of all, I already I've never liked late starts. Um, I lived on the East Coast for a couple of years while I was at Florida State, and I hated them even more because we'd have literally regular games that started at ten thirty p.m. Yeah, it's not so great. this game started at nine o'clock. I stayed up to with the idea of watching it, and it was seventeen to four Lakers, and I went to bed. <laughs> you said, you said, you said, um, I'm out. No, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm done watching this whatever this is i'm checking out right now i watched a little bit more than you did but you could tell early on that this was not going to go their way and ad gets a double double right 28 and 10 he he pretty much did whatever he wanted they had no answer for him throughout the game lebron Gets his as well. Has a big dominant dunk in this one. Look. They shot 43.8% from the field. 28% from three point. We've said this for a while now. And we, we get so distracted by Zion's injury. And when's he going to be coming back? This has been this way for a while. I'd say a few months the Pelicans' offense is clunky. It doesn't flow. When you, even when they get on a bit of a run, it's not smooth. That's something that concerns me about the stretch, the home stretch of the season, the 23 games that still remain after this week's All-Star weekend. You don't need to be silky smooth Golden State Warriors during their prime, right, with Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant. I don't need to see that, Dawson. But I need to see 
a team whose offense is better than watching the Orlando Magic? They just do they fit like that? They have good players. They have very good players. C.J. McCollum should have been an all-star. He's a very good player. B.I. is an all-star. Zion's an all-star whenever he plays, which is never. Valachunas is a good double-double guy. Trey Murphy can shoot the three ball. You get a, a, a you get a spark off the bench with Jose Alvarado or Kyra Lewis Jr. Herb Jones is a defensive specialist. He loves playing D. But when you watch this team play, the offense is just clunky, man. You can't win playoff series that way. You just can't. It's weird because the issues they have offensively now without Zion weren't always a thing without Zion. And Correct. Like, like down last the stretch season. last year, right? And so, I mean, I obviously – him being out there impacts everything because it opens up space for shooters. It opens up, you know, different opportunities. It takes attention away from Bi and CJ and those things. But uh, you felt pretty good about this team's ability, especially to score without Zion. Um, they they've proven that they're capable of it. But in the last, you know, however long he's been out now, a month and a half, whatever it's been. Um, yeah, it just doesn't feel like the same team. And even those games that they've won, they you know they went on a little run, winning four or five here, which I think is still important. And let's not lose sight of that. They did, they, you know, what we talked about, what they had to do two weeks ago. They did right. They won a few games heading in to at least kind of pull themselves above that ten line and give themselves some momentum going into the second half. They stopped the bleeding. Now that was all contingent upon assuming you were going to have Zion game one after the break, and that's no longer the case. So that still does readjust some things. But, yeah, it's – like, I don't know how much more you need to see before you kind of feel like there's really no way this team contends legitimately without Zion. Um, and that's, you know, a rude awakening because there's a good chance he's not going to play much at all the rest of the way. And if he does, you don't know how healthy he's going to be and <sighs> yeah. how many minutes he's going to play. So – for a while, I kind of had this hope that when B.I. came back and everything else settled down, that this team was still like a legit top seven or eight team in the West without him. And now I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that anymore. And the weird part about it, as you've pointed out, they looked far smoother offensively last year when they didn't have Zion at all after the McCollum trade. The McCollum trade changed their fortunes last year, changed the identity of this team, changed how Willie Green coached, because I think he was a little... uh, He was drowning a little bit early. He got a veteran guy that he could trust, and McCollum changed how they did everything. And they found themselves, and they developed chemistry quick, right? That was the thing that was crazy about that last year, is that... In a week and a week and a half after the McCollum trade, you could see what this team was doing. And they started to kind of thrive, even towards the tail end of the regular season. Trey Murphy the third started finally coming out of his shell. Remember, he had to go to the G League for a little while, came back last year as a rookie. And the team really kind of came together. And once again, they didn't have Zion. 
They didn't have him during the regular season last year. They didn't have him for the play-in tournament, which they won. They didn't have him, Dawson. And did adjusting to having him throw throw that off, and now without him, they don't know how to orchestrate offensively. Because that's how it feels. Yeah, it's really strange too. Because I mean, the the pretty much the majority of the roster, I mean, almost every single piece of the roster is still intact. Now you you know upgraded from Devontae Graham to Josh Richardson. That's too small a sample size in the two games to even know what that impact really is. But all the core pieces from that group that made that huge run down the stretch last year and started the season off so well this year. Nothing's really different there. So all of a sudden Zion goes out, and again, when Zion and B.I. are out together, well, you understand that that's really your two best offensive players as far as the impact they give you. So that makes sense. But now B.I. comes back, and then again, even even you give it a week or two, and B.I. is pretty slow. But now he's, he's playing. He's doing his thing, right? He's B.I. again. Now he's not going to be outstanding every night. But he's been really good, and you're still now again. I guess maybe we're maybe we're overreacting a little bit because they have won four of their last six. Now that Bi's kind of been back in the mix, so maybe they are kind of figuring it out. And last night, look. So how many times the Lakers play the Pelicans a year? Is it three or four? You can mark yeah. Anthony Davis down to play three or four games a year. He'll play in the games against the Pelicans. Nobody else. Correct. LeBron and AD. All of a sudden, they were feeling okay. They missed the week before, but then they were feeling good when the Pelicans came to town. So yes, there's pettiness there, and they're motivated. They by the get Pelicans, up for yes. the Pelicans mm-hmm. too. It was a road game, so like let's not read too far into all of this. But yeah, it doesn't feel like the same. Even the games they've won recently, they've played really well defensively. They've been you know winning games in the very low 100s, you know, which is where last year's Pelicans team was you know putting up 115, 120 points a game regularly. So. It's a little bit concerning, but again, I, I, I've kind of talked myself out of it in the last two minutes now. They did win four of the last six headed to the break. They figured things out with B.I. Zion is hopefully coming back. You're still going to need to give B.I. rest, though, down the stretch. Yeah, and, and well, so, same thing with right, McCollum. He's right. not going to play every single night. Now, that's most teams aren't going to have But you don't play. have a third option. Like, Valachunas gets you a double-double, but he's going to get you like 12, 13 points. And he's a bit of a liability on defense as well. And he's a bit of a liability on defense. Now, right? Larry Nance being out also has an impact last night. because it, he... it does. You don't have a third guy to be like a prolific scorer. It's been Trey Murphy when he's hot from time to time, but he has not developed into a consistent three-point shooter yet. Not yet. So you don't have that third guy. Like, you're missing the third guy that was on the cover of the, you know, latest Slam magazine. That, the Zion, right? So you don't have that guy. Because when you look at just them in the West, they're the ninth scoring team in the West. Just the West. They're averaging 114.9 points a game. That's actually tied with Portland. So... What's funny about that, though, is that the Mavericks and the Suns are actually below them in points per game. So we've talked about how this is kind of a weird season, right? The difference is that the Clippers and the Suns and the Mavericks are three of the top four teams defensively in points allowed in the Western Conference here at the All-Star break. That's your difference. The Pelicans... 
are sixth. So the defense is good enough. The defense is good enough. But if one of the two guys, like, okay, last night, perfect example, and you're right, it was on the road against the Lakers. They're always motivated. The Lakers scored 34 points in the third quarter alone. Like 34, man, in in, in the third. Ugh. You know, and CJ and BI each had 20 points. But no other Pelican had scored more than eight at that point through three quarters. You're not going to win many games. You're just not. If you go into the final quarter of a 2022-2023 season of the association and you only got two guys in double figures, you're not going to win. Like, that's just not how the NBA's built. And who's going to step up? If we go out and say, okay, Zion is not going to play. Let's do worst case scenario and that the big fella is not going to be able to come back at all this year. That's the worst case scenario, right? Who's going to be that third guy? Who's going to be the third guy that's consistently going to step up offensively? Herb Jones is going to do his thing on defense. I ain't worried about Herb. Herb's in the starting lineup because he's a lockdown defender. Not because he gives you points. If he gives you anything, that's lanyap, as they like to say. It's just, it's just extra. Who's going to be the third guy that's going to step up and get you 15? You don't have one, right? You can't think of one. Maybe it's going to be Trey Murphy one night. Maybe Marshall and Agiel go off for a game or two. And maybe your best-case scenario, if you're a Pelicans fan, is that you hope a third guy can just kind of piece it together. It's like a rotation. Oh, Trey will be one night. Maybe Valachunas will go off and have 18 points one night. He's done that before. But you don't have a third guy behind B.I. and C.J. that you can depend on getting you at least 15 points. So can you win that way, D'Lo? Mm, I mean... Yes, you can, but I don't think this team is built to win without Zion, and I've kind of, I don't know, they they can tread water and play a little bit above 500 without him, possibly, if things go well, but I mean, that's pretty much as far as you get. I don't think you're beating any of those teams that the that we've talked about in the West without him, so if if he, if that's the case and he misses, then, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at a lost season, in my opinion. Another one. Another one. Oof. Once again, it's tough for the fan base. It just is. And this ain't a knock on Zion, so don't take it that way if you're out there listening. It's not that. It's not that at all. He can't help that he's injured. The body's failing him. He can't help that. But, man, it's tough for the fans. Because if this is another wash season and they just barely make the play-in tournament, because right now, currently, they sit eight at the All-Star break. Remember, this team was in first place. Twice <laughs> earlier this season. And here we are, February 16th at the All-Star break in their eighth. And we don't know when Zion's coming back. Tough pill to swallow if you're a Pels fan. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll look at the association at the All-Star break. Only 23 games remain. What teams do Dawson and I say... Those are legitimate contenders, and which teams still have question marks about them that aren't the New Orleans Pelicans? We'll discuss that next, right here.
on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All-Star break has arrived. Three-point contest, slam dunk contest, and the actual All-Star game are all going to be on tap for this weekend. But it's time for us to look at the standings and discuss what teams we feel like are legitimate contenders and which teams are, I don't know, kind of on the fence there. Only 23 games remain after the All-Star Weekend, remember, NBA does not split their season in half. They play the majority of their games before the All-Star break, and then they close it out. And they do that because of how long it takes for the playoffs. So let's start in the Western Conference. We know the Pellies are there at 8. But I want to look at the top. People keep trying to find a way to not say Denver's a really good team. But the reality is, is that Denver is the best team in the West. Now, by the end of the season, by the time we get to the playoffs, Dawson, it could be Phoenix. We have yet to see Kevin Durant suit up for the Suns. We know that they have, once he gets healthy, they're going to have him and Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden, And that's a nastiness that many teams are not going to want to mess with. And Phoenix... By the way, even without Durant, they've won seven out of their last ten. So they, they were treading water for a while, and they're firmly in fourth in the Western Conference standings, but they've won seven out of their last ten. And they're going to get KD. I think we can in agreement here that we expect Phoenix to be in the mix because, once again, this is a team that made it to the NBA Finals just a couple of years ago. I expect them to be up there. I expect Denver to still continue being a tough out. They do have the reigning two-time league MVP. He still plays for them. Memphis and Sacramento are the ones that I have question marks about. The Grizzlies have kind of faded a little bit here. Four and six in their last ten, but it's even been worse than that if you extend it out the last 20 games. They've hit a lull. In the season, they're still in second place in the Western Conference. And there's been a lot of buzz about the Grizzlies. We all know how much I love John Morant in his game. But something feels off about the Grizz. I can't really put my finger on it. They just seem, I don't don't know, they're bordering on becoming the villains of the NBA. And maybe that's what they want to do. But they haven't accomplished anything yet to back it up. Uh, And then Sacramento, look, it's a great story that Sacramento is the three right now. The fact that basketball, that the Kings are good again, is a good thing. I like the fact that Sacktown is in the mix. 
but I don't trust them either to really make a run. So for right now, of the teams in the West, I trust Denver and Phoenix. I got question marks about the Grizzlies and the Kings. I think the first of all the hesitancy with Denver like I fully understand because they as they've been really good for a long time now and they haven't done it in the playoffs. They've Correct. got one trip to the Western Conference Finals in this Yokotron and that was in the COVID season against the Lakers in the bubble and they lost that series in 5 games. So as good as they play regular season wise, you know, the NBA changes in the postseason. I sure think does. everyone can agree on that. The way the games are called, the way the games are played, the intensity on the defensive side Like, everything is different in the playoffs, and from what we've seen, Denver's game does not particularly translate as well to postseason basketball as it does regular season basketball. So, you know, for me, look, if if Phoenix is healthy and the guys that they have together, I know we haven't technically seen it work yet. If that team's healthy, I think it's them and the rest of everybody else in the West. I don't think anybody is really that close, even Denver. I don't think, I I don't give Denver much of a chance in a seven-game series if that Phoenix roster is fully healthy. So... Sacramento again, and it's been talked about. We've, you know, they've been really, really healthy and fortunate. So while they have a better record than a lot of the Western Conference, I think most people, which again, when it gets to playoff time, a lot of these teams that have had guys miss games for load management or for injuries mm-hmm. that maybe they just don't want to further risk the injury of, those guys are going to play in the postseason. And while Sacramento's seed may be higher because they haven't had injury problems throughout the season, I think the general consensus and, and what I think as well is that. You put them in a seven-game series against most of the, maybe even in the first round, Sacramento probably loses that series, and I would tend to agree with that. So the teams that I'm looking at to challenge Phoenix, it is Denver. Can they can they pull things together? Can they give you a different look in the postseason than they have in previous years? Um, I'm still going to be concerned with Golden State until they show me otherwise. So Steph's if, out, right? right? So that's the other part of that. And that's one of those teams that you go, okay, right now they're the play-in tournament. And look, they've been... But they're 29 and 29. They're epitome of an average team. What happens if they get healthy? Now, the the interesting thing is even when they've been healthy this year, they haven't been great. But I think that goes to some teams just don't care that much about the regular season anymore. And I think they're Golden a veteran State's been down group that road. Yeah, that's won multiple rings together. Now, what they have to be careful of is they have to get in. And, you know, I mean, at this point, the way the West is looking, that's not a guarantee and a given, especially if. They're missing some of their core guys. But if they get in, they're a team I'm worried about. Um, but outside of that, like that entire you know muddy middle of the Western Conference, I don't fear Dallas quite as much, although I will be interested to see what a playoff series with Kyrie and Luka looks like. Um, but for me, again, it's, it's Phoenix. And until they – if someone else goes out and beats them in the playoffs and they're healthy, I'd be very surprised. Another team to keep an eye on. And once again, it's it's going to be all about their health. And you brought up load management. The Clippers and Kawhi, right? They're they're just hovering. We haven't talked barely about them at all, right? And and right now they're they would be the five seed. They're thirty two and twenty eight. They're a little above five hundred. Been six and four in their last ten. That's a team that's got some experienced guys on there, right? And in a Western Conference that is, as you said, completely muddy. Maybe they take advantage of that, right? That's it. that's the only thing that I that I think of. And the Western Conference is so much more difficult to look at to figure out because there's so much parity in the West. The East, 
we we know who the the two best teams are or maybe the three best teams are and then it's a, a drop off in the east it just is yeah with the clippers like i would say they are the team that's in the middle that i feel and not necessarily i don't mean just the standings in the middle that's overall in that middle tier of teams that i would trust the most over dallas new orleans um like teams like that memphis even i trust the clippers a little bit more um but again they're a team when you talk about the Pelicans have a pretty, you know, bad injury history. The Clippers are as well. They've they've Correct. never been. We've been saying if the Clippers are healthy for like five six years now. So yeah. is that going to be a thing? And that always again, we're getting pretty close to saying that with the Pelicans too. It's like, well, if they ever got healthy, yeah, well, that's probably never going to happen. But what bothers you about the Grizzlies? Uh, I think a little bit of what you're saying. Um, I you know I buy into that a little bit more than others. Maybe is like the mentality of the team. And they took on this villain role and kind of told everybody, here we are. And they again, they haven't really gotten anything accomplished yet. Um, they've got some holes. It's interesting, too, with Ja. Like, I'm interested to see how Memphis takes the next step in the playoffs. And I just don't know if they have the guys that have been through that grind. Again, when, when you're getting to the West and everybody you're playing is pretty good, especially a year like this year. Um, they kind of remind me of Sacramento in that when everyone else has their guys, I don't know if I trust Memphis to win more than one or two playoff series. And I like Memphis's roster, but they don't have another guy. I don't believe Ja has a true running partner there. They have other guys. They have good players. They don't have another great player. I mean, they're kind of similar to the Pelicans mm-hmm. right now without Zion. Correct. Um and, and and almost kind of similar to Denver to me. They have guys, and they're going to win a lot of regular season games, but I just don't know if I've seen it or if I trust it in playoff basketball. And again, at some point, all these teams take that next step, the ones that are great. Or they don't. Or they don't, right. And yeah. I'm not sure they will, so we'll see. Quickly in the East, look, it's Boston, it's Milwaukee. right? I, that That's what it is. They are clearly the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. You could probably make the argument they're the two best teams in the league. Yeah, Philly and Cleveland will have something to say about it, I think. But Cleveland has holes with their team, and they're wildly inconsistent, even though I love Spider, right? And he's made them totally changed their team. Philly is interesting to me, but I just, I don't know. Very similar to Denver. They've won a lot of regular season right. games for a long time now. And, and they, they always haven't... flame out. And they haven't taken that next step. And then after that, it's just, you know, it's Boston, Milwaukee, and then it's Philly, Cleveland could maybe make some noise there, but then everyone else really doesn't have a chance. <laughs> I'm just being sorry. Nets, Knicks, and then whoever comes out of the playing tournament, which would be like the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, and the Wizards. Ugh. Ugh. If I've got to buy stock on anyone down there, I'll take Miami's playoff pedigree. But uh, even them, they they have not played well for a long enough stretch this year to make me really believe. Correct. So, NBA at the All-Star break. All-Star weekend is this weekend. After it's all said and done, who's going to come out and be one of the better teams? Who's going to make a run? Who's going to make a push for the playoffs to improve their playoff seeding? We'll have to wait and find out. we got to take a timeout. When we return... We're going to shift gears a little bit. Raging Cajuns baseball, softball. That's right. Softball is taking part in the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational down in Florida. A star-studded lineup of some of the best programs in the country. Baseball, well, they get ready to open up their season on the road at Rice. We'll hear from Coach Glasgow and Coach Deggs next right here on The Game. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, we did have one injury in the first game of the year. <clears throat> We've lost uh, Maya Davis to a hand injury for a, f- a few weeks, and uh, uh, hopefully she'll be able to still be able to come in and pinch run for us, but she may be limited, and uh, hopefully it won't be a long, a long-term recovery thing. It was uh, a hand injury that they seem to have hope that we could get her back in a month. So um, that's tough, tough for a young lady to. Worked that hard from August till now, and you know, been committed to the Cajun since eighth grade. So I hate it we lose her the very first game of the year, and and I hate it for our fans because she's such an exciting player to watch. But that was the um, other than that, we come out of the weekend uh, healthy and the pitching staff um, in really good shape to go forward. And um, I thought that was a good opening weekend. Coach Jerry Glasgow, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball program, talking to the media earlier this week. They opened up the season with a clean sweep of the 37th annual Louisiana Classics. They're held at Lampson Park. But now it's about to get ratcheted up. This was done on purpose. This is not a scheduling quirk. This is something that Jerry Glasgow went out there and said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to schedule tough. And right off the bat, that's going to happen starting today. Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, one of the more prestigious Division I softball tournaments in the country. It's going to air on the family of networks for ESPN. The number 22-ranked 4-0 Raging Cajuns. Well, they're going to be taking on the likes of Indiana today at noon. Then on Friday, can take on Michigan. Then on Saturday, they're taking on number five ranked Oklahoma State in the morning. Then they're going to be taking on number four ranked Arkansas in the afternoon. And then Sunday, they're going to be taking on number two ranked UCLA. And then in that afternoon, they're going to be taking on number seven Florida State. That is a gauntlet. Now, there's some other really great teams that are in this tournament. You don't get to play everyone. Right, Dawson? This is not how it's set up. But you get to play some of the best of the best in the country. And you get to do so in a nice and, you know, location where it's going to be, you know, warm. It's not going to be chilly down in Florida. Clearwater is tremendous. But they're playing four teams in the top ten in a two-day stretch. Like, they're easing into it by playing the two Big Ten teams. And then it's Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, Florida State. Four top ten ranked opponents. This is great for them. 
This is great for them. And I believe the realistic expectation for this team heading into this tournament, it's early in the season. We know they got one really good pitcher in Sam Landry. She is phenomenal. Do they have a number two? 100%. They've got number two and number three, I think. Oh, you're far more. You're. Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. You you believe they have three all conference caliber starting pitchers? Yeah, we've seen them before. They're not new faces either. I mean, Kendra and Megan both showed you last year. Now, it's also different that they have never had this many before because they also have pitchers behind those three, which is something new. And we're gonna see how they try to do that. But we've never seen them have more than one or two great pitchers. So I think last year... They've had two before. Yeah, they've had two, but never had more than that, where they almost have a pitching rotation now. And and you're there, and you believe all three are great. I think certainly can be. Uh, no, um, there's a difference. Well, between... yeah, Kendra's carried the load before. I Like, she has been kind of the workhorse in the last year when Summer Ellison had some, like, injury issues, but... Yeah, I think they I, – I don't know. I have more concerns about the defense behind them and some of the younger players that are going to be in the starting lineup positionally than I do about the pitching staff. I think the pitching is going to be as good as it's been in a long time. But going to be. You and I are on the same page. You just believe they are right now. They're going to be. And here's my argument why they're not there yet. They're going to be because they're going to play in this tournament this weekend. They're going to be because they're going to have to play Florida and Texas. By the time this pitching staff gets to conference play, they will be the best pitching staff in the Sunbelt Conference, and they'll be one of the best pitching staffs probably in the country. You and I agree on that, but they're not there right now. And why I don't necessarily look at last year all that much they have experience. They don't have enough experience against top-flight elite competition for me to be there yet. They will be in a month. That's why I would make the argument that wins and losses really don't matter here right now. They, they really don't. I know fans are going to be upset because, look, this is a gauntlet. It's our poll question of the day. How many games do you think they're going to win? They're playing six games. Four of them against top 10 competition. I say realistic expectation this early in the season is to win two games. That's me. And even though Cajun fans may be upset that they may lose four games in this tournament, this will make them better. Because the thing about this team for the last, what, four or five years? Really good in the regular season. And when they face some tough competition in a regional... They don't get over the hump. They don't get over the hump. This, well, well, they haven't. They haven't got to a super, so they haven't got over the hump. This type of competition, the only time they've really played this type of elite competition was when Jerry was able to tweak the schedule early in his career, the COVID season that they lost. I believe that team was going to Oklahoma City. Because they had two All-American pitchers. They had a third that could have rotated in. They were stacked as a lineup. They were ranked in the top three. The season gets taken away from them because of COVID. They played a very tough schedule before COVID started that year. 
this schedule will be reminiscent of that year. This will make them battle-tested. And this will make them one of the best teams in the country. I don't care what the number says in front of them for the ranking. I don't care what their overall record's going to look like. When they get to a regional, I believe they're going to host. And they're going to win a regional. And they're going to go to the Supers this year because of how they're going to get tested in these games. So... I'm with you. The results don't matter a ton. If you went three and three in this tournament, I think you'd feel great about it. Oh yeah. You... Oh yeah. Absolutely. If you could beat one of the top ten ranked teams, if right. you could just get one win against one of those top ten teams, oh man, you'd feel great. Um, and the reason I'll say the results matter a little bit is just because of that logic. So, and one of the reasons I think they haven't been over the hump in winning a regional, but they've been to regional finals and been to game deciding game sevens of regional finals very often every year in the past you know however many years except last year they didn't go to the game seven correct but the difference now is you need to host and I think look a couple of those teams should have hosted I thought the team specifically that was 56 and five should have hosted Um, and the fact that you've been sent to Baton Rouge and you've been sent to Oxford and you've been sent to Clemson over the years uh, is tough and also just makes it that much more difficult to win the regional so you need to win a couple of these games in my opinion to kind of start setting up that resume come the end of the season. You don't have to to win all of them, and you don't have to win the majority of them. But, you know, the game against Indiana today is pretty big because Indiana's been a decent team, but they haven't been a great team even in the Big Ten. And you want to start the tournament off on the right foot, right? Yeah, get some confidence. Again, a lot of of young players on this team that are – Look ready for prime time, but also let's see. They looked great against Stephen F. Austin. They looked great against Lafayette College. <laughs> this is obviously a big difference. It's a bit. It's a big. It's a big difference. So you need the experience, and again, I think come the end of the season with the resume, you don't want to have the pressure of having to go out when you play Texas on the road in some of those later non-conference games. Correct. You don't want the pressure of having to win a bunch of those games. I think. Look in the neutral site, a little bit less intimidating of a of a situation to go into. Try to go out there and win at least two. Yeah, if they get three, it'd be great. And start building that postseason resume to where when the committee's looking back at the end of the year and you know you have another dominant run through the Sun Belt, they can go, well, wait, they were dominant through the Sun Belt, but look at this win they have in non-conference. Look, look what they, they beat Florida. They beat Texas. They beat a Florida State. Whatever it may be, you're right. They're going to look at that. And look, having McNeese on the schedule twice helps as well because they're a top 50 program, top 40 program, in, in fact. So they'll... Look, they'll get to the Sun Belt and they'll rack up all the wins. And their resume is going to be immensely impressive, right? Because if you're right, if they get a couple of these wins against this elite competition, if they go 500 against all this great competition that they're facing, the Texas, the Florida, this 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 Invitational, and they win the Sun Belt, they're hosting a regional. That's what's going to happen. And if they surprise us and play really, really well in this tournament, then that could be something, and we're way getting way ahead of ourselves. Way that's ahead. what we like to do on talk radio. <laughs> then that. you can start maybe even looking at, could this be a top eight team that could maybe host into the Supers, which would also be huge. Again, just having that home field advantage in softball, maybe even more so than baseball, it matters a ton. You see the top eight seeds get to Oklahoma City. Usually you see five or six at least of the top eight seeds Every year. in the World Series. So that's right. something to think about. If they play really, really well, and maybe we go, okay, we knew this team was really good. Maybe they're even better than we thought. Then again, maybe they really struggle and we have to temper expect. Maybe they go 1-5 and five or 0-6 oh and, and we start having to say, okay, maybe they're not as far along as we thought. But that's what's going to be fun about a great tournament like this. Right, and this is why it's perfect for this program. Because Jerry understood. 
Jerry comes from the SEC where he was an assistant coach at A&M in Georgia. He understands, and he went to the College World Series with those two teams. Okay? He understands what it takes to get there. And it bothers him that he hasn't got out of a regional round yet. So he knows exactly what's going to be needed for this team and a program at this level to get there. you got to host a regional. And so you got to play tough competition to help change the perception. Poll question of the day. How many games will Cajun softball win in the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational? We just gave you the rundown the schedule. Right now, 68% of you say two to three games. So we're pretty much on the same page here. 23% say four or five. Ooh, I love that optimism. 9% say zero to one. And then no votes for all six of them. Keep those votes coming and keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, a poll question of the day. Let's get to some comments, shall we? How many games will the Raging Cajun softball program win at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational? They're playing Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, and Florida State starting today through Sunday. Right now, 58% of you say two to three games. 27% say four to five. 12% say zero to one. And 3% say all six of them. Salty Steve has chimed in. If people are looking at this with vermilion-colored glasses, they would say three to four. If they win two, it would be respectable. JPK, the OD says two or three wins would be very respectable, showing this field is loaded. (laughs) You want to take Ralph's comment on Twitter, by the way? Would you like to chime in on Ralph's comment on Twitter? Dawson's word of the day. I'm going to come back to that one. Ton, now known as Ton Mambo. Shout out to Ton. They may win more, but I'll say two to three. They have a lot of talent, but are playing some perennial powerhouses. They can win more, but we'll have to see if it happens. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I like when I get the first vote in. It looks like everyone agrees with me when my selection is 100%. Then Ton and JPK, the OD, both vote and re-win my moment. (laughs) So, Ralph's comment on Twitter about yeah. your word of the day. Go ahead, go go ahead and re- read re- read what he had to say. Well, I did. I, I just I didn't know we were going to address it before the break, so I have to pull it back up. <laughs> the Cajuns will compete with ebullience and transcend expectations. I'm not a huge fan of the of that word. I don't know. I think I think there's better words to use. <laughs> uh, keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Apparently, the rain is starting to come down outside, in particular, to north of us in St. Landry Parish. So if you're out there making the morning commute to work or school, just make sure that you're careful. No need to get silly with it this morning. We like you listening to our show. We like you to continue listening to our show. So just make sure you're careful out there this morning. Coming up half an hour from right now, Jay Walker usually joins us on Wednesdays. Had to reschedule because he is down in Florida for the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, which the Louisiana Raging Cajun Softball Program is taking part in. We'll talk to Jay about that event as well as about the men's basketball team who takes on ULM tonight. Point spread is 13 in favor of the Cajuns for tonight's men's basketball game at the Cajun Dome. Seems high to me. Seems high to me for a team that's lost back-to-back games. And ULM is scrappy. We'll talk to Jay about all things Cajuns coming up half an hour from right now. Of course, we spent the majority of hour number one talking about the Pelicans in the NBA. All-star break has arrived. Pellies have 23 games left. They're currently in the play-in tournament in the standings. They're a game above 500 as they lost last night to the Los Angeles Lakers. They had no answer for Anthony Davis or LeBron James, who always play inspired when they decide to play the Pelicans. But when you look at this team, you see holes in the team. Once again, they didn't have Zion last year, and offensively they were far smoother and executed far better, especially after the McCollum trade. They turned a corner, won the play-in tournament, got into the playoffs. But since Zion got hurt, they struggle on offense. They look clunky when it comes to their offense. Who can step up if Zion can't come back? We don't anticipate to see Zion for a couple weeks from now. At best, that's the best case scenario. So who's going to step up and help C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram get the buckets on a consistent basis? They may not have that guy. They have guys that can step up in that role from time to time. Valachunas, Murphy, Najee Marshall. But they don't have right now a consistent guy that can give them 15 points a night to help out C.J. and Brandon. So it's going to have to be McCollum and Ingram going to have to kind of carry them offensively until Zion can come back or if Zion doesn't come back at all, which is a distinct possibility. Poll question of the day. It's about that Raging Cajun softball team. How many games will they win at the tax at Clearwater Invitational, which begins today? They play Indiana today, Michigan tomorrow, and then it's the gauntlet on Saturday and Sunday when they have to play four teams ranked in the top 10, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, Florida State. All four of those teams are actually ranked in the top seven. Right now, 58% of you say two to three games, 27% say four to five, 12% of you say zero to one games, and 3% of you say all six of them. Let's head out to the game hotline. Jamie's been patiently waiting, a.k.a. Mr. Green. Sir, good morning. Hope you're being safe out there on the way to school. Bud, what's on your mind, my friend? Good morning, Mr. Third. I always try to be safe, and uh, it's funny. I, I, I call you guys, and all of a sudden, it was just deluge. So uh, I apologize for any uh, rain sounds in the background. Not a problem, <laughs> um, bud. 
Uh, well, I was going on the poll question of the day, and, and first of all, shout out to uh, was Mr. Ralph who uh, posted that comment on Twitter. I love learning new things, and I especially love learning new words. And uh, boy, a boilant is uh, is quite a quite a word there. That's that's not a five dollar word. That's like a, a fifty dollar word or something. I don't know. This is what but, uh, Dawson has brought to the table, Jamie, because <laughs> my man's got two degrees, not one but two. He's coming in here. He's raising the bar with our intelligence. He's raising our bar with expectations of word usage. He's breaking out a thesaurus. By the way, he gifted all of us thesauruses, which was a very nice gift that he gave everyone. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no question of the intelligence. It's there. I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, it needs it. I mean, you got me speaking into our microphone, so we need someone else to help out with the intelligence. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't hang up. Uh, but I wanted to go in on the poll question. I'll say that uh, I'll say that um, they'll probably win two or three. They have the possibility, uh, which was pointed out earlier on Twitter, uh, of winning more. But I mean, two or three would just be wonderful. I mean, they're playing some great teams, and like you pointed out, four of them in the top seven. That's man. That's that's more than a gauntlet. That's like suicide row. That's what that is. So I expect them to win two or three. If they win more, that would be awesome. I would love to see it. And uh, I don't know about Iguilan, though. I don't know that they'll be joyful and uh, excite, excited as they play. But I know that they're gonna. I know that they're gonna play hard, and uh, that they'll uh, surprise some people out there. Jamie, appreciate the phone call, brother. Be safe out there, man, and have a great day at school. Appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great day. You mentioned this during the break, D'Lo, was it's like an NCAA regional. That's essentially what it is. The amount of games that you're playing against the level of competition that you're facing. And that that's great for a team like the Cajuns, especially early in the season. And especially when we mention good number of freshmen that are going to actually not just play, like be starters, contribute, play almost every day on this roster – those girls haven't played in an NCAA regional the way the returners have. Correct. So now, and again, we I said it's not even it's more than a regional because you're not going to run into a regional that has Florida State and UCLA in it, right? So it's somewhere between what a regional would look like and what the College World Series would look like. It's somewhere in between there. And the only difference is you're going to be playing different teams as opposed to a regional where you might run into a same team twice. But, yeah, like you're going to look at six games. That would be the equivalent of getting to a regional final and just not having that one winner-take-all game at the end. Maybe whoever's in the winner's bracket wins the championship game. So, I mean, this is – you're going to leave from this having, you know, experienced the competition level, the kind of neutral site atmosphere that you sometimes get at a regional. Of course, the host team sometimes can, you know, create a different atmosphere for their games. But um, going to a neutral site, playing – some of the best teams in the country and playing six games over the course of four days. All that is, you know, just what the postseason looks like. So, like we said, they're going to be better no matter what the results are. And it's going to help them because if you go back, say, last year, now they were a 47 win team last year. But early on, you did the Louisiana Classics, you didn't really play anybody. And remember, they played Alabama and they got mercy ruled, right? That was early in the season. But then you look at the rest, and then they followed that up with that Mardi Gras Mambo thing that they were doing in Youngsville where 
it was Eastern Illinois and St. Thomas and Portland State and Litscombe. Like, no, that doesn't that doesn't help you. And what happened when they faced Alabama again in that little event? They were mercy ruled again, twice in a week's time. But then they played Stephen F. Austin, right? They lost to LSU, but then they didn't really play anybody really else before Sunbelt Conference play last year. Remember, they had the two games against Texas. So they were able to sprinkle in. They had the couple of games against Alabama. They had a couple of games against LSU. And they had a couple of games against Texas. And they lost all those games. Yeah, they won the one game against Texas on the road when they went back to Austin later went in the year. Went back to Austin. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt like, and that was a team that probably needed a schedule more similar to this one. I agree. Because when they got to the, you know, and they got to Sunbelt play and they dominated Sunbelt play as they always do. And then they went to a regional and competed, found a way out of the loser's bracket to get back to a regional final. But clearly they just hadn't played enough teams of the caliber of Clemson when they got to that region. Now they had that little bit of the Midwest swing that Jerry was able to insert last year. That's when they went up and played at St. Louis, at Illinois, at Indiana, right? And they won all those games. And that was something that people were like, why are you doing that? And remember, they were gone for a long time because they went up to the Midwest and then went over to Boone for a Sunbelt Conference Series. And he was able to do that. And, and that was helpful, but they needed more of those games. They didn't have enough of those games because then they go to Clemson and, and what happened. And they should have won that first game against Auburn. That We may be talking about this completely different. If they wouldn't have lost four to three against Auburn in the first game of that, the Clemson regional, because they bounced back. But they, they even needed 11 innings, remember, to beat UNCW. And I was like, and then they beat Auburn the second time, but then they got mercy ruled by Clemson. So they played some tough competition last year, but it was sprinkled, right? And they had, so Jerry decides, I'm going to eliminate the Mardi Gras Mambo thing. I'm going to eliminate a lot of these games against lesser competition. Those are going to be gone, and I'm going to try to play as much tough competition as possible. That's why this team is going to be better served. Those young players that they're going to be counting on for this year that you mentioned, and even the pitchers that they bring in, brought in from last year, they only have, what, a few games experience playing against elite competition. Not even a handful of games against elite competition. Guess what? They're going to become great overall, just not great Sunbelt pitchers because they're going to be taking place in this tournament starting today. And they're going to take place in that tournament with Florida and Rutgers. They're going to take place against Texas. By the time they get to Sunbelt Conference, watch out, Sunbelt, because <laughs> they're going to be sharp and ready to go. They're going to have an NCAA regional mentality, Dawson, when they get onto the field for the Sunbelt Conference slate of games. The Sunbelt ain't ready for that. And we'll see. Sunbelt should be a little better. Uh, you know, a program like you know, JMU is not what they were a few years ago, but of course remember James Madison made a big run to Oklahoma City. And so yeah. they're that great pitcher. Is, yeah, this is yeah. the first year of the added team. So let's see if the Sunbelt has a little more depth. There's a couple teams in the league that look to be pretty decent this year. But, yeah, I mean, you haven't lost a Sunbelt series in nine years. 
It's been a long time, but so it's you been know, a long time. that streak won't go on forever. I always think like eventually somebody's going to be. It only takes one bad weekend for that right. series for that or uh, streak to end, but or a ba- or an injury, right? Right. But um, yeah, no, it should be a battle tested team come Sunbelt tournament or Sunbelt conference play, and then of course Sunbelt tournament NCAA tournament. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day about the Raging Cajun softball program. Keep voting. Keep leaving your comments. we got to take a time out. But when we return, we're going to debut a new segment here on RP3 and Company. It's all about how concerned should you be about one of your favorite teams. Well, the new producer, Dawson Iserlo, is going to tell you all about it. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How concerned should you be about your favorite team's recent struggles? Time to sound the alarm for Decon Level with D-Lo on the game. Well, here we go. Let's go. How concerned should you be? I'll answer the question for you. So, we're going to start off the segment, uh, and our first iteration of the decon levels is going to be the UL men's basketball team. They, of course, were on a run. They had won 10 games in a row, and they lost a couple of games last week. First one was maybe expected on the road at Southern Miss, the top team in the conference, hostile environment, tough situation. But then they followed it up with a trip to Troy, a team that they had dominated the first time they played them in the Cajun Dome. Without Jordan Brown. Did not have Jordan Brown in the first iteration. They did have him in the second, and it didn't matter. They got outplayed severely in the second half. So we're going to do this on a 1-5 to scale. We're going to go to make things easy. Five is going to be the highest level of concern. One's going to be the lowest level of concern. Your nuclear war level is five. If we ever hear a team with five, it's going to be a problem. Uh, but I'm going to start, the first level is going to be a 2.2 for the Cajuns men's basketball team. So there's a level of concern. We're not even quite at the halfway point, though. So we could be much more concerned than this. Um, and the reason I'm going with that score is because it was concerning. The two losses were not great, and the, specifically the second one. But they led both games at the half by five. Uh, they had a double-digit lead against Southern Miss in the first half of that game. They played really well in the first half, all things considered. And you would expect maybe the atmosphere would have been more of an impact in the first half. It actually seemed like the effect it had was more just wearing on the Cajuns throughout the game. And they played progressively worse throughout the second half of that basketball game. Um, And when they took a trip to Troy, I think, look, it's also you had a very hard-fought emotional game on Thursday. And the way the Sun Belt Conference is, it's look, it's how everyone has to deal with it. But you have to play a game two days later on Saturday. So I think that wore down on them. I think they were worn out. Um, I thought you saw that specifically from the guard play and specifically, you know, when teams are tired, what tends to go, jump shots, shooting, it requires a lot in the legs and a a lot of uh, energy there. And they did not shoot the basketball well in either one of those games. Uh, But there's a couple of things to keep in mind. For one, uh, Troy had a guy who was shooting 26% and coming off the bench, 26% from three. He went five of seven and had over 20 points in the game. That's not going to happen every time out. Um, I thought that was something, again, he's a guy you're, you're going to leave open from behind the arc because he's not a good three-point shooter, and he had probably his best shooting night of his career. Um, there were a couple of weird things that took place. You also just, the defensive effort in the second half against Troy is something I don't see happening again. They gave up 50 points in the second half alone. This team's shown us, let's take the bigger sample size over the exception of the rule. They're going to be better defensively than that. 
Um, in the Sun Belt Tournament, which is ultimately this team's goals to win that tournament, they will not have to play on the road. Of course, they'll be in a neutral site for all those games, and there's no team specifically close to Pensacola that's going to pose. You know, the, the Cajuns for a long time had it in New Orleans where they were the team that kind of brought the most fans. You're not going to really have that issue in Pensacola. Um, and then the other thing is, again, when you talk about shooting exceptions, Southern Miss is a 32.5% three-point shooting team, not particularly great middle of the league, and they shot 44% from three against you. They made a lot of shots in their building. Um, so a lot of the things that happened on that road trip I don't think are concerns moving forward. Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you thought this team was that next-level dominant team in the Sunbelt Conference that had won 10 in a row, you thought maybe they were going to win out and win the regular season and head in as the one seed, well, maybe you had to take a step back. So I am concerned because maybe this team isn't quite as dominant as we thought they could be. But overall, everything you want still in front of you. Southern Miss still has an opportunity to lose several games down the stretch. And at the end of the day, your biggest goal is to win three games in three days in Pensacola, cut down the nets there, and go to the NCAA tournament. My rebuttal would be this. You mentioned, hey, an emotional game. Then they had to turn around and go to Southern Miss. It was a hostile environment. They looked a little tired. They were worn down in the second half. Then they turned around and had to go to Troy, and they got worn down in the second half. They're going to have to win three games in three days. And they're going to be playing quality competition like Southern Miss or like Troy to win three games in three days. That's the only thing that gives me pause about them. I think your rating is probably Johnny on the spot. I'd say you said 2.2, right? I'd go a little bit higher. I'd say 2.5 because what I don't like is the fact of how they play in second halves. And this is not just this past weekend problem. When you look at their losses, they play poorly in the second half. Why? Like That's the thing that, st- that stands out to me. And you mentioned, well, these teams don't shoot you know, very well. They just had a good shooting night against the Cajuns. Well, that gives me even more pause. If you're playing a team that doesn't shoot particularly well, your defense broke down on you, and you allowed a team that is not on your level to have a good night against you. So, once again, three games in three days. Fans are not going to be a factor there. I've been to the, I've covered the Sun Belt Conference tournament twice now. There's no one there. And and, and look, the, the folks in Pensacola they try to do a very nice job, but it's an old Civic Center that has no juice. It does not get loud whatsoever. It just doesn't. And there's always plenty of seats available, even when you're there for the semifinals and the championship round. All right, so. Fans will not be an issue. Neutral site is fine. But if they're tiring down now a couple days after playing a game and they don't have enough gas in the second half of games now, how are they going to have enough juice to win three games in three days? That'd be my concern from what I've seen. That's fair, and I'll address it. Um, first of all, yeah, I, I loved when the tournament was in New Orleans, also because I was able to go to it all the time. But <laughs> I thought Lakefront Arena was a better venue. Um, but either way, I, you know, Pensacola's a nice place. I do see... Wonder, I do wonderful white sand beaches, bud. I do hear you with your concerns there, but I would say this. Number one, you will not be traveling the way they were traveling from Hattiesburg to Troy in a three-day frame, and then first traveling to Hattiesburg. They're going to get to Pensacola a few days early and already be there, and they will be in Pensacola for the majority of that tournament. Also, 
They didn't play three games in three days, but they played two games in two days when they went to Asheville early in the season and looked really good even in the second game of that tournament and won that you know preseason tournament. And those were quality opponents. Harvard's a decent team in the Ivy League. And, okay. Um, and again, you've swept road trips before. So I think one road trip where you look sluggish doesn't mean you're always going to play poorly in those situations. And they have played well on their previous road trips. So we will get a chance to see what it looks like when they go to JMU on Saturday. And Correct. I think... I don't need them to win that game, but I need them to play well. And if you lose because James Madison plays better than you, then I'll accept it, but I need them to play well. And obviously, you have to win tonight. You can't lose to Monroe. You can never lose to Monroe in anything, first of all, <laughs> much less a home game in a big situation. Spoken like a true UL grad right there. <laughs> Spoken like you, you, can't, you can't lose to ULM in anything ever. Quiz Bowl, Scholastic, Decathlon, doesn't matter. I don't want to lose to Monroe. They're not a good road team, though. They lost to Coastal Carolina, who's one of the worst teams in the conference. I know that was early and over the break, and that needs to be talked about. But they lost at Old Dominion. Majority of their losses are all on the road. So, once again... All of their losses are on the road. All of their losses are on the road. (sighs) Look, I I don't think 2.2 and 2.5 are that far apart, right? And I'm like you. They need to be able to come out strong tonight against ULM and take care of their business. And then they don't need to beat JMU. But I'd like to see a better effort on the road. But if they have the thing where they're up and then they have another bad second half of basketball... Uh, that's going to be like, okay. Then we'll do this segment again next week, and we'll readjust. <laughs> I'm waiting for this segment for the Pelicans, by the way. <laughs> just waiting for that. I'm just saying, just waiting for that. Good job, bud. Appreciate that. It's not going to be once a week. It's, it's, it's entirely as many times as Dawson wants to do this segment, by the way. Well, with the way that New Orleans sports teams are going, and, well, not just New Orleans, <laughs> my sports teams are going... And not just mine, even just the ones we cover, all of that. The way all of them are looking, we might do it often. So we'll see. <laughs> oh, we got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, he's down in Florida for the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about men's basketball and more. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team, as we know, is down in Florida 
for the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. They're going to play some elite competition. Indiana, Michigan, top 10 ranked Oklahoma State, top 10 ranked UCLA, top 10 ranked Florida State, top 10 ranked Arkansas. Actually, all four of those teams are ranked in the top seven. To give us some insight about this great tournament that's going to help better prepare the Raging Cajuns for hosting a regional, which is really the ultimate goal, and to make a run to Oklahoma City. As well as talk about the men's basketball programs, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, joining us from Florida, our good friend Jay Walker. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. Sorry I missed you yesterday. Things got a little bit crazy at the airport. As a matter of fact, uh, we wound up being... Well, we were supposed to land in uh, in Orlando yesterday at twelve fifteen. We didn't leave New Orleans until twelve ten. Oh, um, oh air but, travel today. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Oh, it's fun, uh, but hey, bags fly free, so that's good. There, there it is, brother. There it is. All right, let's let's start off with softball because that's actually our poll question of the day, and we've been talking a lot about it. Look, it, it, Jerry has told us as much preseason and even you know to start this season that. He wanted to do whatever he could in his power to give his team the toughest possible non-conference schedule to not only get them prepared to host a regional, but to make a deep run because they haven't been able to do that in the last couple of years. They've sprinkled in some tough games, Alabama, here and there, but they're going to be playing a gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. It begins starting today with this tournament. How big of a deal is it for the Cajuns to even be in this field, Jay? Well, it's a big deal from the standpoint of, you know, whether you win a lot of these games, don't win a lot of these games, whatever, your strength of schedule is going to take a big boost because of the teams you're playing. And you mentioned four of them are ranked in the top seven. You know, not the top 25, dude. Four of them are ranked in the top seven. And uh, so, you know, your strength of schedule is going to be good. Now, you know, at the end of the day, the the committee is going to look at, okay, you know, uh, what was your record against, you know, quad one, quad two, you know, we, we know how all of that works, but um, yeah, this is a, this is a good field, you know, and it's crazy because you're going to play six games in four days, but there are 16 teams here. I mean, you know, Alabama is here. Uh, You know, I don't have the list in front of me, but this is a who's who of college softball. Arizona, uh, others, yeah, yeah, right. And this is a this is a who who's who of college softball, and uh, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a fun four days here. What do you think the realistic expectations should be for the Cajuns for this tournament, playing six games in four day uh, four days? Uh well, you know, it's 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 seven games while you're here. I'm going to put UCF in the in there as well. Because the Cajuns go there on Mardi Gras evening, and uh, oh, that's right, and that's a top right. twenty team. Yep. Okay, so those seven, man, I'll tell you, if you can find a way to go four and three, that means that you've beaten the teams that aren't in the top seven, and you've stolen one. If you're able to do that, that is a huge time uh, in Florida. Now, you know. Uh, I don't know if anything more than that is realistic. Um, you know, even if you go three and four, I think that that you've made uh, a statement or two. And once again, you've you know you've jacked up your your non conference schedule. Um, but but man, look, there's <laughs> there's good competition here. Some of the teams the Cajuns are going to play are really 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 good. So you know we'll see. You know if they're going to steal one of those top seven. 
they're going to, you know, Tony Robichaux used to say when you play, for instance, LSU when they were in the top five, they're a team that makes you play an imperfect game perfectly. And uh, it's one of the things we're going to talk about in pregame today uh, when, when Bobby and I get together. Um, if you're going to beat one of the top seven, you have to go out and play almost a perfect game. And by that, I mean you can't give the other team anything. And, you know, looking at what they did against bad competition, let's, you know, let's keep it real here. Looking at what they did against bad competition last weekend, the thing that gave me pause is they allowed 12 free base runners in the four games. That's three per game. You do that against these teams, you're not going to have a chance to win. So the, the biggest thing that you got to look for when you go up against these really good teams is making sure you don't give them anything for free. Jay, let's talk about the baseball team. They're going to open up the season this weekend on the road at Rice. You know, uh, they got a lot of guys coming back, a lot of letter winners coming back. I know they have some question marks with the pitching rotation, but this is a team that's loaded, absolutely loaded. And I know the Sunbelt Conference has gotten better because of the additions of Southern Miss and others. And the Cajuns were picked fourth in the preseason poll and and all that. I, I get all that, but it sure does feel like this – they have the ingredients of making another run to an NCAA regional. What about you? They do. They do. I, I agree with that. You know, you, you look at this league now, okay? You've got four teams that D1 baseball projected to be in regionals, the Cajuns being one of them, along with uh, Georgia Southern and Texas State and, of course, Southern Miss. And so then you look at the next four, and it's South Alabama, Coastal Carolina, um, Old Dominion, and Troy. Now, those four teams could go into a lot of leagues and win those leagues, um, and yet they're picked fifth through eighth. I mean, this this league is just, wow. There's an awful lot of competition and an awful lot of talent. Southern Miss, they've announced their entire home schedule is sold out. Um, so they're going to have stupid crowds over at Pete Taylor Park. Uh, this weekend, you know, Rice wasn't very good last year. In fact, they weren't very good at all. Now, I believe they're going to be a lot better this year, and I don't know what, what Jose Cruz Jr. exactly has, but you got to believe that they've upgraded their talent there. So I think the Cajuns are playing on the road. I think they're going to get tested. And then you come home, and from the time you come home next weekend until the end of March, I think you only play like five road games. Um, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to uh, to really you know improve your record uh, playing at home and, and improve your resume. But I think opening on the road against a team like Rice, I think, is big for the Cajuns because Rice is going to be better. Frankly, I'll be a little surprised if the Cajuns sweep that series. I'll be disappointed if they don't win that series. Um, but it's going to be uh, it'll be a fun weekend over in Houston. Talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, Jay, let's shift to the hardwood. Disappointing week for the men's basketball team, for sure. Give me your thoughts on what you got to see firsthand as the play-by-play voice on the road at Southern Miss, and then follow that up on the road at Troy. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop short of saying it was a disappointing weekend. I'm gonna say it was a disappointing Saturday. Um, you know, look, Southern Miss is very good, and you're playing at their place in front of a sold-out crowd. By the way, 
best atmosphere that I've seen in a Sunbelt Conference game since the days when we used to go to Bowling Green and play Western Kentucky. Really? Um, it wow. was just It was just great there. And Southern Miss playing at home should have won that game. Um, now, you know, uh, could the Cajuns have kept it closer? Yeah. You know, could the Cajuns even have won the game had they played really, really well? Perhaps. But I wasn't necessarily expecting a win there. Saturday was disappointing, but in retrospect, after you have a chance to sit, ponder it, look at a few things, I, I just think what happened was really simple. I think they ran out of gas in the second half. They didn't have a hangover losing the first game of that series because they played well enough to win in the first half. But, man, they were a step slow. It was like they were, they were running through quicksand out there. And, um, and so what happened happened. But I'm going to just ch- ch- chalk it up to – they ran out of gas after a really, really emotional game against Southern Miss on Thursday. You know, it just ran out of gas. Could that be something that Troy did themselves defensively or with their style of play that just kind of wore the Cajuns out more? Or it was it just more of a kind of a mental thing from playing in such a hostile environment on Thursday? Well, I think it was mental and physical. Um, and, you know, I – Look, Troy, Troy's got a pretty decent team, especially playing at home, all right? Um, but that is, uh, that is a game that the Cajuns normally would not let get away from them like that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give Troy some credit because they played very, very well. But, but I think if that game would have been played on Thursday instead of Saturday, I think the Cajuns win the game. That's just the way I feel. Tonight, they're going to be at home in the Cajun Dome against a very scrappy, tough ULM team. They've already faced off once before. They won up in Fun Row earlier this season. What do the Cajuns need to do tonight to get the win and get back on track, Jay? Uh, you got to guard on the perimeter. Um, Jamari Blackman is capable of going out and getting you 35 because uh, he can really, really shoot it. He and Tyreek LaCour. Um, you know, you really, really got to guard the perimeter. The Cajuns are going to have a big advantage inside. Um, you know, the two guys they've got inside are pretty decent players, but but they're not what the Cajuns have inside. Um, so it's all about guarding the perimeter. ULM, if, if you look at them for the last month or so, last week notwithstanding, because they had a game against App State last Thursday where they shot about 20%, and you're not going to beat anybody shooting that. But they've been really good on Thursday and not so good on Saturday. And I think part of that is because they only play six guys. Um, And this game's on a Thursday. So you're going to get ULM's best shot. They're capable of coming to the Cajun Dome and winning if the Cajuns don't play well. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's all about guarding the perimeter. And you can't let Blackman and or LeCur go off. Because if that happens, they're going to have a chance to beat you. They have to go on the road because of the scheduling quirk and go play JMU on the road on Saturday. And and they're going to be at home all week, so they're not going to have to travel like the Cajuns are. Um, Last road game of the regular season, what should we expect in that ballgame? What what kind of game should we expect to see on Saturday, Jay? I, I I think what you're going to see Saturday is going to be directly reflected on what you see on Thursday. Uh, you know, if, if look, there's no room for error for the Cajuns now if they want to get the number one or number two seed. There, there's no room for error. So if they go out, they play well, they take care of their business, I think they'll give JMU all they want. And this is one, it's the one trip this year 
where the Cajuns don't have to worry about connections in airports. They're going to charter this flight. So they're going to fly up there on, um, on Friday. They're going to play the game right after the game. They're going to get on the plane and come home. Um, that, is, that is an advantage for them as opposed to what you normally go through trying to get from point A to point B uh, in the Sun Belt Conference. I, I, but I think, you know, the, the first things first, I think that, you know, a bad performance on Thursday could possibly carry over to Saturday. But I think if, uh, if the Cajuns take care of their business tonight, then JMU is going to get the Cajuns' best shot on Saturday. And the Cajuns will at least have a chance uh, to win uh, in, uh, in Harrisonburg. It won't be easy because that team's been very good at home. Cajuns are familiar with Mark Byington, used to be the coach at Georgia Southern, had some good success against the Cajuns while he was in Statesboro. James Madison is a, is a very talented basketball team. And at the same time, it's a game that the Cajuns can win if they go up there with great focus and go up there and play well. If you look at what's happened the last couple of weeks, Ray, and, and I don't want to oversimplify things, but one of the reasons why the Cajuns had a 10-game winning streak is you had you know Jordan Brown and others uh, playing on the inside, and you couldn't pay much attention to them because the guys on the outside – uh, Garnett and, and Greg Williams in particular were going out making shots, and so it was pick your poison, which way you want to die when you play the Cajuns. Cajuns have not shot it very well the last few games. It is imperative that they shoot the basketball from the perimeter well in every game they play, and if they don't, they're vulnerable. It's well said, brother. Well said. Enjoy Florida. Be safe on your travels, my friend, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day How many games will the Cajun softball team win in the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational? Right now, 60% of you see two to three. 26% say four to five. 11% of you say zero to one games. And 3% of you say all six of them. Let's go. B-Rad on the Twitter says they'll go three and three. If they go three and three in their six games, that's a win. Because that's exactly what we talked about earlier. And that's what Jay Walker brought up just a few moments ago was, look, if they beat the two teams that are not ranked, and then get another win, that means they're going to be taking down a top-seven opponent. That's a win all day long for the number 22-ranked team in the country. Yeah, and, and one more thing to throw in there that we were talking a little bit in the break about, 
Uh, Indiana, not to say Indiana is not going to be good because, again, it's very early and we don't know, but they appear to be the worst team that you play in this tournament from history's perspective. So today, a little little workman special, twelve o'clock first pitch. Uh, you gotta you gotta try to win this one, I think. And we both kind of were saying that could set the tone if you get a win against a team that you're probably better than, um, or would like to be better than. You get a win to start kind of set things up and get the confidence going. You feel like yes. you're gonna play better in this overall tournament. I would agree to that. Doug on Twitter has chimed in. Our guy Doug, I can see them taking three: Indiana, Michigan, and Arkansas. If Landry worked on some of her stuff this offseason. She will be a force, and we know Kendra is powerful in the circle. Once again, those girls have immense potential. Both Kendra and Sam have immense potential. We've seen what they can do the last couple years. For them to get to that next level, for the Cajuns to get to that next level and be a team that's going to win a regional and go to the Supers and win a Super and go to Oklahoma City, they need those two girls, those two young ladies, young women, to take their game to the next level. To go from being a great Sunbelt Conference pitcher to a great pitcher. It's not fair. I'm not saying it's fair, but we know what it takes to get to Oklahoma City. It takes you being not only the best in your conference, but one of the best in the country. These girls have not been tested as much as they should be because of the way the schedule's been the last couple years, they're going to get tested. And even if they take it on the chin, even if they get handed a couple of lopsided losses, it's going to make them better. It's going to make the team better. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, we're going to talk Pels. We're going to talk Saints. Les East joins us from CrescentCitySports.com. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and company on this stormy Thursday morning. Make sure that you're safe out there during your morning commute, taking the little ones to school or heading to the job. Okay? Make sure you're careful out there today. Weather's supposed to clear up around midday, and then we're supposed to get chilly this evening. So just make sure you're careful out there today. Two hours are in the books. Final hour has arrived Half an hour from right now, we're going to get a preview about the LSU baseball season as well as the SEC from someone that is considered maybe the greatest player in LSU baseball history, the All-American, the College World Series MVP himself. Todd Walker will be joining us. That's half an hour from right now. But right now, we're going to discuss the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans with a man who covers both of them for CrescentCitySports.com. Our good friend Les East joins us. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? Doing great, bud. All right, so let's get right to it here. Pelicans have reached the all-star break. They're a game above 500. 
they lose last night on the road to the Lakers, and we don't really know when and if Zion Williamson's going to come back this season because he re-aggravated the hammy. What is the state of the pills as it stands here at the All-Star break, in your opinion? Well, they're in limbo. Uh, first of all, it looked like they um, they had one foot in the All-Star break when they played the Lakers last night. They just didn't match the Lakers' effort at all in uh, one of their worst performances in, in recent uh, games. Uh, you know, the, the weird thing about the Western Conference is you know, you, from third place to 13th place has, has only been about five games for the last several weeks. And so there's, it's very easy to move up and move down dramatically in a short period of time. And yet nowadays, you know, it used to be with the All-Star break, you'd come out of it and still have nearly half the season to play. But when they moved the start of the NBA season up by a few weeks and then the NFL expanded its season, that pushed the All-Star game back a week. So now most teams only have about 23, 24 games left coming out of the break. So that's going to limit anybody's ability to move as dramatically as they could with things as tightly bunched as they are. So, you know, the, the key now for the Pelicans, I think, is just, to be in one of those 10 playoffs slash play-in spots, preferably one of the top six, so they can avoid the play-in. I think the main thing for them is what Williamson's status is going to be down the stretch. I don't think we're going to see him uh, till at least mid-March. The, the, the best-case scenario is probably that he gets about three weeks before the regular season ends. So, Really, the key for them down the rest of the way is it, it doesn't matter so much where they are as long as they're in the top ten as much as it matters what his status is. They could be a play-in team with him and make a pretty good run, or they could be a playoff team without him and uh, be out of there, out of the postseason pretty quickly, or they can miss the play-in altogether. So I think it's more about his availability in April than it is about what number they are as long as they can make the top 10. Do you firmly believe that whenever he does come back that the transition and incorporating him back into what they do and getting everyone on the same page, do you believe that's going to be a smooth transition? Well, I don't know it'll be smooth. The key is whether they have enough time to work through the rough spots so that everything's in sync when the playoffs or play-in begins, assuming they make one or the other. But, uh, no, there, there are going to be some bumps in the road when he comes back. It's going to be an adjustment for, for he and Brandon Ingram to play together because uh, they haven't done that much. And In fact, he, Ingram, and C.J. McCollum have only played 10 games together in their lives. So, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be some, some bumps uh, to work through, but if he can get back for, say, three weeks, I think they can um, work through that pretty well and, and be in a good spot um, once the postseason arrives, assuming they make the top ten, which certainly is no guarantee. The easy answer for my next question is, because they don't have Zion, but you're someone who has been a sports reporter for decades, so you've seen a lot of basketball. Take Zion out of the picture, 
Why does the Pelicans' offense look so clunky the last few months? Well, I think uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, They have uh, missed a lot of other people uh, at various times. Certainly the absence of Brandon Ingram was significant. But beyond that, they've had other guys in and out for brief periods of time that didn't get as much attention. C.J. McCollum missed a few games. Trey Murphy missed a few games. Um, Herb Jones missed a few games. And so they were missing other pieces. Not, And I think beyond that, what you had is a lot of young guys who were being forced to play different roles on different nights and were in and out of the lineups. And so the continuity was not very good. So they have not been able to have a stable rotation, even if you take Zion out of the equation, the rotation they've had without him has not always been stable. They've had some young players are counting on who have been inconsistent. And then at times they just haven't played well. It's not just about who's not there. Sometimes the guys who are there just have not done the job on a night-in, a night-out basis, and uh, that's why they're a very inconsistent team. With Zion status up in the air still, and it's going to be that way for a while, how can this team kind of make that adjustment and take advantage of the fact that the Western Conference is still very, as you pointed out, less jumbled up, right? There's not that much separation between the team in 10th and the team in 3rd or 4th. How can they take advantage of it? What's the one thing that you think Willie Green and his staff and this team needs to work on in the last 23 games of the season to maybe ensure that they avoid the playing tournament altogether? Well, I think it starts with the defense. You know, In the game against the Lakers, they did not uh, they played extremely bad defense early on, and even though the offense had its problems in the second quarter when they played uh, good defense, held them, I think, to 17 points, then the offense came together out of the defense. And so for all the problems they have uh, at times on the offensive end, I think the defensive end is a bigger problem. When they're playing good, solid defense for 48 minutes, they, they have more than enough offense to win. Uh, but it's when the offense break, breaks down that they have bad games. And uh, so what they have to do is get back to playing um, solid defense from beginning to end. And I think part of that is the transition um, to having Brandon Ingram back on the floor. He, he's not noted for his defense, though he's not a bad defender, but it changes who's on the floor and the communication defensively. And I think they've had to work through that to some degree. Uh, But they've got to get to a point where they can count on their defense to be consistently good night in and night out. And if they do that, then the offense will follow. We're talking with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's switch over to the Saints. Derek Carr uh, decided against being traded to the Saints, and I don't think that had anything to do with the Saints. I think it just had to do with the fact that he didn't want to uh, help out the Raiders <laughs> and be like, yeah, 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 you don't want me here, so why am I going to help you out? He's a free agent. He's going to be coveted. We already heard reports. Jets are interested. Carolina Panthers are interested. Obviously, the Saints are interested. What's the percentage as it stands right now this morning 
of Derek Carr being signed by the New Orleans Saints, in your opinion? Oh, I think it's better than 50-50. I think they've been the front runners all along. Uh, I think they still are, though the Though now that he is a free agent, uh, it's easier to get conversations with other teams now that they know they don't have to give up anything to get him. And I think it's smart on his part to uh, talk to as many teams as possible, generate as much interest as he can to try and leverage um, his, his new contract whatever it winds up being. The Saints are trying to get him naturally to take a pay cut. I'm sure other teams will do the same. So there's going to be a, a, a period of time here, I don't think it's going to last very long, where he's going to explore the options on the market and try and get the best, the most amount of money that he can. But I still think the Saints are the front runner. And if I had to guess where he winds up, I, I still think it would be the Saints. But until you have a deal, you don't have a deal. Yeah, Spotrack predicts his market value to be around 34 mil per year. So we'll be seeing who wants to back that up and give that to him. Now, let's say they don't get Derek Carr. The free agent market for quarterbacks is, I'm just going to be honest with you, Les, it's dreadful. It's a lot of fourth year, I mean, fourth tier type of quarterbacks. A lot of them are worse than Andy Dalton. So if they don't get Derek Carr, and he signs elsewhere, what are the Saints' options? Well, they have a few. Uh, none of them are great. And, uh, you know, Derek Carr isn't necessarily going to be a savior either. But that they have, uh, that they could go to the next level. And, you know, their name has been linked to Baker Mayfield, who will be working on his fourth team. So if he were a great option, I don't think he would be looking for his fourth team this early in his career. Uh, there's always the NFL draft, but I don't think they're going to be able to draft somebody who's ready to come in and play, given that they have the 29th pick. What they could do is wait and see what the draft provides for them in terms of a young quarterback who might be ready to play in a year or two and then see what's left on the market as a stopgap. And that's where you start looking, uh, for example, a Ryan Tannehill, who could maybe be a bridge for a year or two until the young player is ready. There's also the possibility of getting Jimmy Garoppolo, who would, I think would be more than a stopgap. Uh, so there are some options out there, but I don't think there's anybody out there where you look at it and say, okay, now they're – they're going to be in the playoffs for sure again next year, and that includes Derek Carr. Ooh, yeah, and if they don't get Carr, the options are, are are slim. And even with Carr, yeah, they can maybe be a playoff team, but they're not necessarily going to be a Super Bowl team. So uh, it, they're kind of in a bit of a tough spot. It's going to be one of the more challenging off-seasons for Mickey Loomis and the front office, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the thing about Carr is I, I think he's definitely the best quarterback option out there for them in terms of upgrading the position to a point where they could be a, a playoff team next year and, and maybe for years to come. But if they're gonna, if he's going to cost $34 million a year or somewhere in that neighborhood, then that's going to withhold it trimming they have to do to get under the salary cap it's going to be really hard for them to upgrade any other areas of the roster to a significant degree so if basically you have last year's team 
maybe even less than last year's team with all the trimming that's going to have to be done, and then you just substitute Derek Carr, well, that, that's that's an upgrade at quarterback, and, and maybe it's an upgrade on the team overall, but it still leaves the ceiling pretty low because they can't fill in the roster around him significantly. Less. Appreciate your time, as always. Enjoy your upcoming weekend, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you're looking at improving your golf game, then you need to go get the Skill Masters app. Once again, Skill Masters is this new great app, which is all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure, and they're doing this huge initiative when it comes to the game of golf. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or a grown adult, if you played you know, college golf or even golf in high school, if you play it well or if you don't play it well, it doesn't matter. Skill Masters can help you with your game. And to talk about it yet again, with us here on RP3 and Company is Skillmasters Golf Pro, the man they trust with your swing. Thomas Wartell, join us. Thomas, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So last week we talked a little bit about, you know, what you guys can do, tips about improving your ability to be able to drive the golf ball off the tee. I'll, this week I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about irons because one of the big things from with myself and with some of my friends is knowing exactly which iron to pull out of the bag. I can't tell you how many times, Thomas, I'll think, hey, at this spot right here, this is good for a four or a five iron, and it should have been a six. And for some people that may not know the game of golf, they think, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's just one number or two numbers, but it makes all the difference in the world. So what are some of the things for those who get the Skill Masters app, you know, can help them with the iron game, so to speak? Oh, okay. Well, that's a that's a pretty good question because, uh, for instance, for me, a difference between two clubs from a four to a six iron might be twenty five or more yards. And uh, to to your point, the the one of the things that the tour players do so well, if you watch them play, is their distance control is excellent. Everything from a putter to a wedge through their irons, and of course, they're just trying to hit the driver as far as they can. But uh, when a pro misses it, they usually miss it a few yards left and a few yards right. It's very rarely the pro, especially the, the guys playing in the last couple of groups of the day on Sunday afternoon, are they going to be 20 yards over the green or 20 yards short. And that holds to the point of uh, not only do they know how far they hit each club, which we, we actually measure with flight scope and uh, several other different apps that we have and, and machines that we have here, but they're – what we call the centerness of contact. So until until you get uh, technique, so I have three bases for the game of golf. There's technique, feel, and then playing the game. And that's the basis of all my teaching from beginners all the way to tour players. So if you don't have any technique, 
technique meaning your swing and more importantly in this case the centerness of contact so if you're not hearing the center of that seven iron to go like my seven iron goes like 170 yards let's say if it's hitting in the center if i hit it on the toe or the heel or i miss hit it or I hit it fat or thin it, it, it adversely affects the distance and and can affect the control as well but if you're losing 20 yards more or then you thin one and you've probably seen this where you have a wedge out you thin it and you hit it 100 yards over the green you know it's because your centerness of contact wasn't good so one of the things we do is we work on drills to create centerness of contact remember the ball does not care about your golf swing it only cares about the moment of impact now if you have an efficient golf swing it's a lot easier to get our five principles of the moment of impact down one of those principles, again, is centerness of contact. So it's, it's so important to make sure you're contacting the ball, at least probably for your level, you know, let's say 60 70% of the time you're hitting it on the, somewhat near the center of the club face. We can help you with better golf clubs, of course, easier golf clubs that, that are bigger and easier to hit. But if you still miss hit it, it's hard to, uh, to control distance. The second thing is feel. So just the feel. Uh, the pros are really good at uh, – using the same speed or tempo or pace in their seven iron every time. So they once did a study with Nick Faldo in his prime, and I think he hit, I don't know, 100 seven irons, and they put it in frames and frames per second. And actually, in every single part of his golf swing, he was exactly, almost in exactly the same position. So in other words, his tempo and timing were always the same. And then lastly is playing the game. So playing the game It'd be various things of simulating game time experience, but in this case, playing the game is knowing how far you hit a seven iron. So, how often do you go out and actually hit 27 irons and try to hit, let's say, your goal is to hit 60% uh, solid? So, you hit 27 irons and you hit 60 of them, 60% of them solid, and then you measure how far you're you're hitting them. So you probably have you probably never done that. You probably have no clue how far. You just kind of guesstimate. But uh, in the old days, we had to pace it off, or we'd shoot to some flag out on the dry range. But now we have machines and equipment and radar where we can actually tell you how far you fly the ball and how far the ball actually rolls when it lands. Thomas, and this is going to sound <laughs> maybe sound a little silly, but one of the things that I struggled with, especially early on with my golf game, and I think a lot of people do that love the game is that during a round, even if it's just you know hanging out with your buds out there on the course, is taking your eyes off the ball. Like I just, I see it all the time. I've done it. I get a little too comfortable when I'm out there playing, and then I just move my eye, you know, my sight line just a little bit, and it makes all the difference in the world. Is that one of the things that you first see, you and your team first see, when people get the Skill Masters app and they, you start evaluating them is where they have their eye placement? Yeah, because a lot of people tend to get a little hunchy and they actually push their chin down when they set up versus I like to see them set up a little taller. And to take it even further, yes, the eyes have some some effect to help you hit. It's like hitting a baseball. You're obviously trying to watch the ball. But, uh, you know, someone who's blind can actually hit a golf ball solidly because it's actually the head is attached to the spine. So we talk about, uh, we talk more about posture. So staying in posture, I don't use the word staying in spine angle too much because the spine is fluid, but we try to stay in posture. So staying in posture means staying in that very similar position that you started at a dress position. And uh, 
most people that take their eye off the ball, that people call it, or somebody will say, oh, you picked your head up. Well, I hardly ever use that word, you picked your head up. I use the word, you lost your posture at impact. In other words, you stood straight up, and your, your spine was straight up at impact rather than at this similar angle that you started at address. But that's such an interesting perspective on that because your typical person, if, if you're not out there golfing with a golf pro, you just focus strictly on where the head's at or where your, you know, where your uh, light of uh, si- uh, sight of uh, line of sight is rather. But you're talking about it's all about really about the posture and less than the, where your sight line is at, and that's a fascinating perspective. Yeah, hundred percent. It's about posture because the worst piece of advice is to keep your head down because that makes you lock your head steady and solid. Well, think of how many sports that you actually stay rigid solid. So golf is a sport, and you actually, you're more about staying in posture. If you keep your head perfectly still, you actually can't rotate the shoulders and the spine and the, uh, the core the way you're supposed to. And that's what makes people lose posture even more because they feel like they have no power and then you, you've seen this, and then they're hanging back on their trail side trying to keep their head so still, and they actually back up at impact. Uh, what we want to do is actually kind of move fluidly, just like any other sport. When you hit a baseball or you throw a baseball, think about when you throw a baseball. You actually move to your trail side, or if you're right-handed, to your right side. You move to your trail side. You move to your lead side. And the lower body or the, the torso, the, the hip area, is actually what initiates this uh, – this progression so it pushes into the trail leg and then it actually starts pushing into the lead leg before the upper body is even completely coiled and that's the complicated way to say it the easy way to say it is if i hand a golf ball to you and say throw this as far as you can or give you a baseball bat you're going to do it right away you can do the exact proper motion right away thomas why is people's short game in particular their wedge game something that so many people struggle with again what I find, uh, just several different things. Uh, first off, if you just go back to technique, they lose their posture there. They hang back. Someone tells them they open the club face around the green, and that's the worst piece of advice there is. And they hang back, and they back up, and they hit it fat. And this time of the year when the grass is kind of soft and mushy, they hit a lot of fat shots or thin shots. Uh, they just don't flow through the ball very well, and they lose posture. Second reason why people's short games are lagging is they actually just don't practice the right way. So they're not practicing technique, they're not practicing feel, and they're not practicing playing the game. So short game is a hum- tremendous part of this game of golf. Think about it. How many times do you hit driver around? Even as a pro, I probably hit it 12, 13 times around. But wedges constantly. I miss a green, I have to use a wedge. I have all these wedge shots. So it's a huge percentage. If you throw in putty in there, it's another, you know, even the pros are averaging 27-plus putts around. So uh, people just don't practice that. They go out to the golf course and they get the driver and they rip it, maybe hit five or six wedge shots if they're lucky, and then they expect to have high performance with their wedge game on the golf course. Yeah, and we've seen it so many times on the PGA Tour or in majors that some of these guys that may not be the big bombers, and I know the game has evolved because of the technology with the balls and the clubs, has gotten to the point where you know driving the ball 350 yards is, is no big deal anymore. That wasn't always the case. But you still see so many guys that have an excellent short game. They're not going to win the driving contest, but they're going to win these tournaments because their short game is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, their short games are immaculate. They get the ball up and down. Uh, and uh, that was one of the strengths of mine as a player is I, I literally felt I could miss 18 greens in regulation and still shoot even or under par because I was going to get it up and down 18 times. So some of it's the mental grit, but it's 
you know, some people are born with a little more feel, like, you know, like shooting a basketball well or other, other sports like that. But it's also work and practice and technique. And uh, if you watch the pros on tour, if you get, anybody gets a chance to go to the uh, Zurich in New Orleans, watch how much time they spend on the short game. They're not spending a tremendous amount of time working on their driver because, the, you know, I had an old pro tell me one time, if you ain't brought it with you, you ain't going to find it out there. <laughs> Before the tournament. You're, you, but you can sharpen your short game. If you go out there and watch them the day before the tournament, they're chipping, pitching 25, 50, 75 yards. They're not just beating drivers thinking, oh, we're going to find my swing all of a sudden. That's the type of insight, coaching, and development you're going to get with the Skill Masters app. Once again, Skill Masters, boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. Thomas, appreciate your time as always, brother. Can't wait to chop it up with you next week, my friend. All right, come see us. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The LSU Tigers are predicted to head back to Omaha this season they're the preseason number one favorite by every publication known to man jay johnson year two expectations are skyrocketing and to talk about this team and about the sec is a man who knows the tigers well and the conference extremely well he was the class 4a player of the year out of airline high school before going on to become a two-time consensus first team all-american at LSU under Skip Bertman, where he was named the SEC Player of the Year, College World Series Most Outstanding Player, led the Tigers to a national championship, and left school as the SEC's all-time leader in hits, RBIs, runs scored, and total bases. He would go on to be a first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Twins, spending 12 years in Major League Baseball. He's in the LSU Hall of Fame, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, College Baseball Hall of Fame. His number 12 has been retired, and he now provides analysis for the sec network it's our privilege to welcome back to the show todd walker todd good morning to you brother thank you for making the time bud how are you good morning everything's great how are you doing doing great bud so you know something about excelling at the highest level in college baseball they got a really good player dylan cruz it projected to be a top five pick top three pick maybe even the number one overall pick what makes Dylan so special from your perspective? I think as anybody can relate, I think in any sport or anything you do in life, it's confidence, right? So, I mean, by the game, since he was a freshman, you've seen Dylan Cruz just just elevate that confidence level. Now, clearly, he's got the hand-eye coordination to hit. He uses the entire field. He's got pop, hit it out of the ballpark, uh, and uh, – you know, pretty strong arm in the outfield. So I think it all starts with confidence for him. But they've got a few nice players there this year, as you just mentioned. And uh, Dylan's going to be the leader of that group, but uh, uh, it's going to be a special year. He's already established himself as a great player. What can he do this season, Todd, to take his game to another level? Well, he hit 349 with 22 home runs last year. Remember, they put him in the leadoff spot, and he just went nuts. So this year he doesn't – I don't think they're going to lead him off. I think Josh Pearson may lead off. So in the two-hole, 
uh, I think it, you know, you, you, you start with, uh, your bat, your bat talks, right? So, uh, if he does anything close to that, then clearly, uh, you know, it makes the people around him just instantly better. Uh, I think he's taken on a leadership role vocally. Uh, and it, 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 from what I understand about the young man, he's just, he's just a great personality kid and does everything the right way. And so I think that alone will allow his teammates around him to see how it's done and follow suit and make everybody better. Go beyond Dylan Cruz. Who are some of the other guys that you're expecting that are going to step up in a big way this season for Jay Johnson's team? Well, you've got three All-Americans, right? you got Trey Morgan, uh, second or third team All-American. Tommy White came over from NC State, 27 home runs last year, and he's only a sophomore. Uh, I think, uh, you know, how he does defensively will affect how he does offensively a little bit. He's going to hold down the third base position from what I understand. Uh, you know, he's doing well over there defensively. So you can't, you can expect, uh, you know, Tommy White to, to put up some big numbers offensively. Paul Skeens, the transfer out of Air Force, they're expecting him to be the Friday night starter. And also, he's a two way player. And how that plays out will be interesting because I don't believe that you got too many uh, Showtime Otanis out there that can do both and excel at both at the high levels. So now you're in the SEC. He was at Air Force for two years doing both and did well. Now he's going to hold down the Friday night lights and be expected to hit. Now, I don't think he can do that all in one night because, you know, you go up there, you strike out in a big at bat, and then you have to go in the field and pitch. It's just too difficult for, for everybody. It's just too difficult. So how that plays out will be interesting. In addition, they've got too many hitters. I mean, Joe Bear may not even play. He had 18 home runs last year. Um, they got Beloso, the, the grad, you know, that's been around. And they've got some veteran guys that can hold down that DH spot. So, but those are the guys to watch: Paul Skeens, Trey Morgan, Tommy White, and of course Dylan Cruz. And Josh Pearson had a good freshman year, hit close to 300, the dreaded 299, like right up under 300. Uh, hit eight home runs. I think he's going to lead off, and he's the kind of the catalyst and the anchor for that the whole offense. Offensively, they're going to be special too because Jay Johnson is an offensive coach, and that's what he wants. What's the big question mark for Jay Johnson's team, in your opinion, right now that you don't have an answer for? I think it'd be the new guys, right? Because, of course, Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan have been around the SEC. We all know and understand that the SEC is the best conference in the country. And so now you're stepping in, if you're Paul Skeens, out of Air Force into the SEC. If you're Tommy White, you're stepping out of NC State into the SEC. And so how these guys react to this gauntlet. And, by the way, I know you've looked at the schedule already. They, they lead off, uh, you know, with uh, – with uh, Texas A&M, who they lost two or three last year at home to. They go to Texas A&M, who had 19 wins in the conference last year. Then they play Arkansas in week two, 18 wins in the conference last year, second in the West. And then, of course, thirdly, they go and they play Tennessee at home, who won the East with 25 wins out of 30 games in the SEC. So the gauntlet of the SEC and the schedule that they're going to have to face is nothing they've seen before. And so the answer to the question is, the guys that have not been through that gauntlet before, I'm interested to see how they react. We're talking with former two-time consensus All-American in the College World Series most outstanding player for the LSU Tigers, Todd Walker. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Expectations are always high at LSU. You know that. You played there. You helped keep the bar at a high level. Is this season going to be a disappointment, Todd, if the Tigers don't at least make it to Omaha? I think that's a fair question, but at the same time, uh, if you learned anything from the Tennessee Volunteers last year, it's not easy. 
No, right? that's right. I mean, they had one of the they had one of the best all around teams from starting pitching to closing to bullpen to offense to defense that I've ever seen in a college baseball team. They couldn't get out of the super regional. You lose that one game in the super regional, and all of a sudden everybody panics, and that next game's just just almost impossible. And of course, Notre Dame beat Tennessee. Tennessee didn't even make it to Omaha, so. It's a fair question in that, yeah, it would be a disappointment because of the expectations, not only that you play for LSU, but also the consensus number one uh, going into the season. Um, but, but, but secondly, I mean, it's just, you know, you got to play at the, at the end. They're going to have a great year. They're going to win 50 games, right? But how do you play when it's two out of three in the Super Regional to determine it all, and especially if you have a bad bounce or something go wrong, you lose a close game in the first one, and now all of a sudden your back's against the wall when you were expected to do all these great things. So you can look at Tennessee as a perfect example of what LSU is going to have to face and deal with this year. Todd, we'll wrap it up with this. The conference as a whole last year, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn, all make the College World Series. Of course, Ole Miss wins the whole thing. Those teams should be good again. We expect Mississippi State to have a bounce back here after winning the title a couple years ago. Vandy, Tennessee. Uh, who do you like out of the SEC that's not named LSU? Tennessee, and I told Jacques Doucette, you know, your uh, the radio, uh, sorry, the TV personality there in Baton Rouge uh, last summer on camera. I said I think it'll be Tennessee and LSU in the College World Series final. Now that's not going out on a limb because I think Tennessee will bounce back in a big way and learn from what they did last year. Now, they've lost some big parts, but they're still going to be really good. Dave Van Horn up at Arkansas always has his team playing well. Um, I mean, Ole Miss, by the way, was the eighth, eighth best SEC team last year, and they win the College World yeah. Series. So to your point, what you just said, we always get three or four teams out of the eight to go to Omaha, and the SEC is just dominating, and it's only going to get – it's going to get more dominant because everybody wants to play in the SEC. Now they're on TV. It's warmer weather to start the season. Um, the SEC is going to dominate college baseball because of the transfer rules now where you don't get penalized. Um, LSU in particular, but most of the SEC schools can get the best of the best in the country. Tommy White's a good example. Um, Paul Skeen's a good example. Um, and so the SEC is always going to dominate. And you can't predict, based on what we saw last year with Ole Miss, eighth-best team in the SEC, wins the whole thing so it's going to be crazy crazy year they've got a huge schedule does lsu um but to answer your question i think tennessee is going to be right there arkansas your usual suspects right a&m was old last year and they lost a lot of older guys but they revamp as well and every weekend is going to be interesting todd appreciate your time as always keep up the tremendous work with sec network brother and we'll talk to you soon throughout the season my friend anytime thank you guys this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests. It was a jam-packed edition of RP3 and Company on this wet and rainy Thursday. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns from Florida, giving us a preview of the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, which the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team is taking part in as well. We talked a little men's basketball as well. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com, talking New Orleans Pelicans and Saints. Thomas Wartell, the golf coach for Skill Masters. And Todd Walker, the LSU baseball legend and the greatest player in program history. <laughs> Thanks to all who voted as well on our poll question of the day and left their comments. Final results there. We asked you how many games will Cajun softball win in the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, which begins today at lunchtime as the Cajuns take on the Hoosiers of Indiana. 55% of you say two to three games of the six they are scheduled to play. 31% say four to five. 10% say zero to one. And 4% of you say all six of them. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. And thank you to all who left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Tomorrow, how are we going to close out the week? Now we're going to close it out strong. That's what we're going to do. Byron Starks, LSUE men's basketball coach, is going to stop by. His team wraps up the regular season. Final home game is Saturday there on the Cajun Prairie. We'll talk NBA All-Star break and look ahead to the second half of the season with Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. And then we'll get a preview of the Daytona 500 from our guy Toby Christie from tobychristie.com. That's what we got lined up for you on tomorrow's edition of RP3 and Company. Of course, we'll also have more of D'Lo. You guys can't get enough of Dawson. So much so that friend of the show, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, Darren says, you guy really knows his stuff. Hope he lasts. I've seen all of your producers, every single one. <laughs> so everyone's thrilled that you're here, Dawson. They think that you're delivering the goods. You're making the show better, making the station better. But there's already concern less than a month in that we won't be able to keep you. <laughs> so so there we go. I hope you're flattered. Yeah, we got big free agent class coming up. So we'll have to take a look, see if y'all are going to use the franchise tag whenever that option becomes available. Oh, oh you're going to you're gonna have to cost me what it's going to cost the Ravens to keep Lamar Jackson. That's what it feels like. That's what we're trending towards already. For... The producer, Dawson Iserlow. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.